Today we continue in our sermon series in Ecclesiastes called What's the Point? And I invite you to take your Bibles, print or digital, and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And if you grab the Bible in the rack in front of you, you will find Ecclesiastes chapter 4 on page 541. Now, Ecclesiastes is a bit like the book of Proverbs in that it bounces around seemingly randomly from topic to topic. And uh, we're going to look actually at three chapters today, chapters 4, 5, and 6. And in those chapters, there is one theme that rises to the surface and is predominant. And it is a theme of work and wealth, of achievement and money. Now, this theme is very near and dear to our hearts because as Americans, we live in one of the wealthiest nations in the world. We, we enjoy one of the highest standards of living on the planet. We don't just pursue prosperity, we expect it. It's called the American dream. But it's not new. Here, the teacher of Ecclesiastes uh, said this in the first chapter, I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. Now, if the author of Ecclesiastes is, in fact, Solomon, then the teacher is truly, fabulously wealthy. And so uh, this is what we read about King Solomon. All King Solomon's goblets were gold, and all the household articles in the palace of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Nothing was made of silver, because silver was considered of little value in Solomon's days, as much silver as there were stones, writes in another place. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. Fabulously, magnificently wealthy. Now, the, the teacher at least has experienced uh, considerable wealth. And as we're starting to expect, this world-weary man tells us that all this wealth, all this achievement is meaningless, right? It's meaningless. It is a vapor. It is a breath. It is a chasing after the wind. Now, that's a little bit counterintuitive to us because we don't think that way. The question is, what makes work and wealth, which we think of as values, something to pursue, what makes work and wealth empty and meaningless? What makes work and wealth empty and meaningless? Well, here are four thoughts from chapters four to six from the teacher. Number one, what makes work and wealth empty and meaningless? Envy-driven achievement takes advantage of others. In other words, greed-driven wealth leads to the oppression of other people. So let's pick it up, chapter four, verse one. Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they had no comforter. Power was on the side of the oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has never been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Wow, those are some pretty harsh direct, strong words. He says, it would be better not to be born than to come into this dog-eat-dog-rat race of a world where 
envy and greed inevitably lead to suffering and oppression and misery. And here the teacher is sounding a little bit like Karl Marx. Marx observed this economic disparity, this oppression that can happen, that wealth is often achieved at the expense of others through the oppression of others. And Marx viewed all all the world, he he viewed um, all human interactions through this very narrow paradigm of oppressor and oppressed. Now, Karl Marx's solution, uh, this socialist utopia that he had in mind, uh, didn't take into account some very important things, most of which was the fallen, depraved, sinful human heart. Because economic oppression uh, is a reality, and it is terrible, but it's the fruit, not the root of the problem. The, The problem goes deeper than that, It's the human heart. So Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was a Russian writer and Soviet dissident, he hit the nail on the head when he wrote this. The line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either. Or you can think of any of the other uh, divides ideological that we have in our world. But that's not where the line separating good and evil passes, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. And then he goes on to say this, which is really getting to the point. This is the problem. Men have forgotten God. Men have forgotten God. So in the end, the teacher of Ecclesiastes sounds more like Solzhenitsyn than Marx because the conclusion that the teacher is going to come to is that we need to remember our creator. Don't forget God, remember your creator and fear him. That's that's the heart change that needs to take place, that needs to happen. Now, we shouldn't too quickly and lightly dismiss uh, these issues of economic oppression because it happens. The choices we make affect others. We live in this global economy. But here's the deal, we better not not think about these things because in the end, one person that we oppress is ourselves, believe it or not. It's not just a problem out there. It affects us daily. Every, every day we are bombarded with advertising which fuels our discontent, our envy, our greed. Social media stokes comparison and competition, our never-ending pursuit of the latest and greatest stuff not only indirectly oppresses others, by it we also directly oppress ourselves. How so? Well, because of all this, envy and greed and trying to keep up with the neighbors or have the latest and greatest, we live beyond our means. We get into unnecessary debt and ruin our peace of mind. This isn't the American dream, it's the American reality and it's not pretty. The teacher would say it is meaningless. Look at what James, the brother of Jesus, says about it. This is what James writes. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. 
For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. <clears throat> the problem is not wealth. The problem is envy and selfish ambition. And if the problem is envy and selfish ambition, then what are the solutions? Envy, selfish ambition? How about contentment and humility? Now, those are, those are very countercultural ideas. Contentment and humility. They may be countercultural ideas, but they're very biblical. Look what Paul writes to Timothy. <clears throat> but godliness with contentment is great gain. There's the gain godliness with contentment for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it but if we have food and clothing we will be content with that okay okay fine food clothing my smartphone my all right we keep adding to that list it's a pretty short list <clears throat> those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. It keeps on going. <clears throat> for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, the, the, I, all, whenever I read this passage, I think of a guy, and his name is, well, he has passed on, but his name was Herr Steputat. Obviously, I didn't meet him here. I met him in Berlin. He was our landlord in Berlin. When we first moved to Berlin, he was our landlord. And his family had owned three apartment buildings in Berlin before World War II. Then, of course, uh, this is East Berlin, East Berlin. And so after the war, communism took over, and uh, he didn't have any control over those buildings whatsoever. When reunification happened, then he received ownership of those three buildings again, and he went straight out and borrowed huge sums of money from the banks in order to uh, renovate these buildings, and, and he expected to make a huge profit. And we were one of the first people into uh, the building that he actually lived in and had renovated. It was the, one of the first buildings renovated on that street in East Berlin. And um, he was always coming to me with these crazy get-rich-quick schemes that he found on the internet, and they were in English, and he wanted me to translate them for him. So I would, I would do my best to translate, and I'd say, this is not going to work. This is a crazy kind of a thing. You will not, he wanted so much to get rich quick. And, and finally, one time after he had brought me one of these get-rich-quick schemes, I read this passage to him. It did not compute. <laughs> Okay, but it's also tragic. It's tragic because um, before we left Berlin, he had lost it all. All of it he had lost because he had speculated too aggressively and the banks took it all over. And when we left, he had gone from three large apartment buildings to one apartment. That's all he owned. I was like, there's, oh boy, you're killing yourself with that. Envy and greed lead to oppression, but it's also we oppress ourselves when we follow envy and greed. 
That's one reason why wealth, work and wealth are meaningless. What's another one? The first one was um, envy and greed lead to oppression. Number two, selfish striving leads to loneliness. Selfish striving leads to loneliness. Pick it up in verse seven. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. You can underline those words. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For, who, for whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. The, the climb up the ladder of success can be a very lonely business. <clears throat> the teacher paints the picture of a very lonely guy here. It's a sad thing. One of our family's traditions is each Christmas to watch the George C. Scott version of A Christmas Carol. And of course, the character of Scrooge is an iconic um, representation of lonely, miserly greed, right? And so watching that every year is a, is a good reminder of the fact that greed leads to loneliness and isolation. Well, what's the solution? Uh, the teacher here says, well, kind of instead of the ladder of success where you inevitably step on people to get uh, high up, how about a huddle, like a football huddle? He doesn't say that. I'm just saying that's an illustration. He's talking about relationship and teamwork and community and work, and that's what he talks about next. Let's pick it up in chapter four, verse nine. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. That may be one of the most famous lines out of the book of Ecclesiastes. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. But that's said in the, the, the flow of context of work and wealth, that it is much better to pursue work and wealth in, in teamwork, in relationship, in community, because that adds not only effectiveness, maybe a greater return and security, but it also makes it more meaningful. It brings more joy to do things in relationship and teamwork with others. I remember when we were in Germany, I used to think and even say to my teammates every once in a while, you know, we may not always know what we're doing, but we're gonna have fun doing it. <clears throat> and the point of that was to say, hey, uh, doing this together in relationship and teamwork, that is a part of what makes this valuable and important and meaningful. And that's one reason why we do almost everything in teams here. Now, after the last few Sundays, you may think we stopped doing the speaking team because you've seen a lot of me, but it's coming back, all right? Uh, so we even do the preaching in teams, but we have lots of teams and teamwork is a value because we recognize that, that this is what makes work meaningful, is to do it in relationship, do it in community, this is even a great time of the year to be thinking, if you're not a part of a, a ministry team of some sort, to be thinking about how next year can I be involved in teamwork in ministry. We, we believe it. 
So what makes uh, work and wealth meaningless? Well, uh, it's, it's envy or greed-driven uh, wealth that, that oppresses others, that takes advantage of others. It's the fact that selfish striving leads to loneliness. And thirdly, wealth doesn't satisfy our hearts. Wealth doesn't satisfy our hearts. Turn to chapter 10, and we'll pick it up in verse, I'm sorry, chapter 5. Chapter 5, we'll pick it up in verse 10. Chapter 5, verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. This, of course, reminds me of the famous line by John D. Rockefeller when he was asked, how much money is enough money? And he answered, just a little more. Okay, just a little bit more is how he answered. You all know that one. Let's continue reading verse 11. <clears throat> As goods increase, so do, do those who consume them. So more supply, greater demand. It's an endless kind of a thing. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Why? Because they're worrying about it. You don't have anything to worry about if you don't have anything or you don't have very much. <clears throat> I don't worry really about our house ever being robbed. Why? Because there's nothing of much value in there. It's all replaceable, you know? I don't lose sleep over it. If it happens, it happens, but whatever. <clears throat> Probably shouldn't have said that publicly, but <laughs> oh well. <clears throat> In other words, it's possible to have all the material things your heart could ever desire and still not find joy in it. Because that's what's missing, that's what's lacking, is a sense of joy. And that this even research and science kind of confirms this. If you look at the wealthiest nations in the world, um, the people aren't any happier <laughs> than other nations of the world. And in fact, suicide rates are higher in the most, um, the most wealthy nations of the world. In fact, they did a study on the, top, on the Forbes top 100 wealthiest people and found again that they aren't happier than your average American. And so we, we know that wealth itself does not make you help happy. Um, but not only is uh, the desire for wealth insatiable, it's, it's also insecure. Wealth is insecure. Look at verse 13. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Jesus picks up on this theme in the Sermon on the Mount and says this in Matthew 6, 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. W wealth is an insecure kind of a thing. If we put our hope in it, again, it's not about wealth itself, but the love of money is a root of all evil. It's not money itself, it's the love of it. It's putting our trust in it. It's choosing it over God. It's forgetting our creator and putting our hope and trust in something that doesn't have security. Finally, as we'll see the teacher of Ecclesiastes is wont to do, he's predictable, 
Uh, he brings up the problem of death. The issue of death is what kind of sh- looms over everything and makes it meaningless. Meaningless. In the end, it's death that makes the hoarding of wealth absurd. He writes this in verse 15. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. We just read something similar in James. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This, too, is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. So, um, as a part of my job, I officiate at funerals. And in the meantime, there's been a lot of them. And I have officiated at funerals for wealthy people and for people who were not wealthy. And I've noticed something. All coffins look almost exactly alike. And there's not much room in them. And I was really kind of shocked last summer when I did a a funeral for uh, someone and it was cremated and there was the box and then I stayed around uh, and they lowered the box into this little maybe three by three hole in the ground. I thought, life reduced to this. And if all there is is life under the sun and this is where it ends, then yes, the toil, the hard work, the labor, and the wealth that you can't take with you and is handed on to who knows whom is certainly a meaningless thing. Jesus also talked about this truth. He tells a parable about this farmer who had bumper crops and was all excited about the fact that he was going to have to tear down his two small barns and build bigger barns, and he was going to have a great abundance for the future and have everything he wanted. And this is what uh, God says to him. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This, Jesus says, is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Again, it's not about wealth isn't the problem. It's selfishness, storing up things for yourself and forgetting God and forgetting that whole piece of it. So the teacher is kind of obsessed with this idea of death, so he's not gonna let this idea go. He's gonna continue with it in chapter six, so turn to chapter six. And the fourth reason why work and wealth are meaningless is because, because, and we just said it, you can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. Let's read the first few verses of chapter six. I have seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor so that they lack nothing their hearts desire, but God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them, and strangers enjoy them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. A man may have a hundred children and live many years. By the way, those would be great blessings in the Hebrew culture. Many children and long life would have been a blessing, but is the man really blessed? Yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. It comes without meaning. It departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more rest than does that man, even if he lives a thousand years twice over but fails to enjoy his prosperity. Do not all go to the same place. 
We all, in, in uh, the teacher's mind, death is the last thing and we all go to the same place. So what is the point? What's the point? What does it mean? <clears throat> you can't take it with you. Again, the teacher's view is too limited. We know more than he does because we know about the resurrection of Jesus Christ that kind of blew open the back end of life into eternity, which is incredible. So we have a whole different view of life. <clears throat> and that makes that all the difference in the world. It's true that you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. This is a biblical theme. Jesus talked about it several times. He said this again in the Sermon on the Mount. Now we just talked about the fact that he said don't store up for yourselves treasure on this earth because it's so insecure. And then he goes on to say this, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So you can store up treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then in another place, Jesus says this, I tell you, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it, when the wealth is gone or life is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So be generous. Invest in things that last for eternity. It, it all belongs to God. We are stewards of what he has given us. And if you steward wealth well on earth, you'll be given reward in heaven. All right, so those are four reasons that the teacher feels makes work and wealth meaningless. But we, we don't track with all that pessimism. We agree that selfish ambition, selfishness, and greed and envy lead to meaninglessness. But wealth and work used for God's glory leads to life. All right, so what? So what do we learn from this? All right, what, what, what do we learn? And here's the first thing, is that we should choose to live for the line and not the dot. I've shared this with you before. But it, it has all of a sudden new interest for me, and here's why. See the dot? That's life on this earth. And that's exactly what Solomon is talking about when he talks about life under the sun. And, and so, so when Solomon is philosophizing about life, he's looking at the dot and only the dot. Life under, under the sun, this life here and now. And so if all there is is the dot, then life and work and wealth ends up being meaningless. But we know that the dot is not all there is. We know about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we know about the fact that we've been invited into an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that'll go on beyond death, that there's a line into infinity that never ends. And it is meaningless to live just and only for the dot. It doesn't mean we don't get to enjoy some of the good that God has built into this life and some of his good gifts, as long as, remember, he's the giver of those good gifts. But we're not to exclusively live for the dot. That will lead to depression and discouragement and uh, meaninglessness. But instead, we're to live for the line. So how do we do that? Here's a couple of thoughts on how we do that. How do we live for the line and not the dot. How do we do that practically? But first of all, ch choose, choose your creator, all right? Choose your creator. There is a God, and he is our creator, and we need to fear him, and we need to choose 
to trust and to love him more than we trust in our work, our efforts, our labor, our toil, and, and wealth, and riches. Again, none of those things are bad. They're just bad when we do them just for ourselves instead of for the glory of God. And so um, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What's the, there's an order of priority there. We must choose our creator first. Paul says that our, we are to work heartily for the Lord and not for men and not for ourselves. We're to work heartily for the Lord. Our toil, our work, our labor means great things if it's submitted to the work of the Lord in the world. And and God uses wealth for his glory and our joy as we first of all submit to him. That's, That's the kind of the fundamental idea of living for the line and not the dot is we choose our creator over wealth. Here's the next one, be rich towards God. We read that. Be rich towards God. The, the problem with the farmer who acquired all, all these, this bumper crop is that he was only thinking of himself, selfish, greedy person. But it, the problem wasn't the wealth. The abundance was actually given, it was a gift of God, these bumper crops. It, the problem was selfishness. And so we counter that. We live for the line when we choose to be rich towards God. And here at the church, we have uh, what we call the, the ladder of generosity. We've shared this on several occasions. Here, here it is again. And an encouragement that we all talk. Here's a good ladder to climb, all right? If you climb this ladder, you won't be oppressing anybody, all right? You won't be taking advantage of anybody. Uh, uh, the ladder of generosity, if, if you've not given, then the first rung is to be a first-time giver. Choose to give. Uh, if you've given, uh, then be, be an occasional giver. Start to make it a pattern in your life. And then an intentional giver. And an intentional giver um, is, is going to think about it and plan for it, but that moves us then to the next rung of, of tithing, of tithing, uh, a proportional giver. And... Uh, the Bible's pretty clear that 10% of our income is a goal to shoot for. But it's not the end of the story. It's also a launching pad to, to go further from. And, and so uh, t- tithing is a great discipline that, that, that helps us to choose God over money, but it can go beyond that to extravagant giving, and that's the, joy, the joy really comes flooding in there. Uh, there's no sense of meaninglessness and discouragement about work and wealth when we choose to be extravagant and generous towards God through our giving. Where are you at on that ladder? If you want to live, if you want to live for the line and not the dot, then part of what we're doing is intentionally climbing that ladder of generosity. Thirdly, how do we live for the line and not the dot? Be content. Learn contentment. All right, um, and you do that by practicing Thanksgiving and praise, all right? Thanksgiving and praise. In, intentional thanksgiving and praise. When we choose to praise and thank God, that builds our contentment, that makes us content. Remember, godliness with contentment is great gain. That, that contentment comes through practicing thanksgiving and praise. So, what are you living for? 
the dot or the line. The band is gonna come up, we're gonna close with a song. And as we sing that song together, this is a good time for us to search our hearts and to answer that question. Do, do I choose God over wealth and money? Am I intentionally choosing to live for the line over the dot? And, and what am I going to do intentionally about that? That's the challenge. Wealth and work are not meaningless. They have all the meaning in the world, and we can enjoy them as we submit our lives to God.